0: Thanks. This is Karen with NewCleavenRadio.net, and it is time for Heart Mojo with Melinda Smith. And Melinda, you know, it's very interesting. Um, your sh- podcast is about you talking to people, getting through their challenges. And right. you've gotten through many challenges, but the past six months, it's just been piled on top of you.
1: It sure has <laughs> we're managing to work through it because what other choice do we have, right? gotta get well, through
0: them. and exactly and um you know, just to preface this this morning, my son called me from Texas and an issue came up and it's like, you know, how am I gonna deal with this and you know you should have told me this before I took this job and before I moved and he was just like, and I was like, okay, like Ramble on. You can tell me. Um, and then he just hung up and then about an hour later he called and he goes, okay, so I have another obstacle in life. I'm going to get through it. And he gave me some ideas of what he was going to do. And I said, that's wonderful. And that's really what we do on this program because we can't walk in your shoes, but we can walk alongside of you. And Debbie Griffiths is someone who I met through another great podcaster. Um, And she's been telling her story a lot. And I think it's very important for all of us because some of us deny ourselves the ability to be strong. And Debbie, I don't know how you did it. I started reading your book. I had to put it down for a while because... um, I know it's fiction-based, but still, it was like, this is a little bit too much to handle. But you did. So tell us about you and the book.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to see you, um, Karen, and nice to meet you, Melinda. Um, So I, yes, I've written a book. It's called "Porch Burnt by a Gaslighter. It's a fictional tale based on true events that actually happened to me. It's uh, regarding the red flags of gaslighting and its subtleties. And my goal for writing the book was really to provide hope to other people that they can lead these types of relationships and successfully rebuild their life. Now, it's taken me a long time to get to that point, to realize that I did it, and to give myself credit for it. Um, But, you know, it was actually a magazine article on verbal abuse about 25 years ago in a national woman's magazine that I picked up in a grocery store because it had this wonderful looking recipe on it. And I thought I would try the recipe only find out a few days later, I had a few extra minutes read the article on the verbal abuse and it woke me up to thinking, oh, maybe, no, maybe. And it started putting a whole um, chain of events and into and into motion. And so my hope is if it was a magazine article that woke me up to the fact that, you know, this marriage isn't what it really should be or what I had hoped to be, then maybe my book can help other people see some of these red flags and and the subtleties because you're not gaslighted every day of the week. It is comes and goes and comes and goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to give them hope that they can leave these relationships and you can rebuild your life.
1: Well, and I think it's important to talk about the verbal abuse because I think we all remember the burning bed. Yes. And that brought a lot to light. I mean, I, I think women lived in a life where they just didn't talk about it. But that movie made all the difference for a lot of women. And that was more of a violent, physical violent situation. But what you're talking about is... More subtle, subtle things that happen to you every day.
2: It's a lot more subtle. It's a psychological manipulation, you know, from the abuser to the victim. And it, you know, it's over a period of time and the victim ends up losing your sense of reality. You know, you question your memories, you question everything about you. You totally lose your self-esteem. And for me, it was so bad that it drove me to attempt suicide. I just did
0: not want to be around all this anymore. So Your what were so what were some of these subtleties? Um, because I was also in a verbal abusive marriage, um, and to this day, I mean, we have we've worked through a lot of that. We're not together anymore, but um, he's he honestly does not even remember. The things that he did, and I can believe that from the way he has turned out, but share with us some of those verbal things that some people would say, oh, it's nothing, Debbie, you know, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, and for me, the biggest red flag that I see now looking back was isolation. Um, I initially mm-hmm. didn't think too much of it. Um, we moved from uh, California to Georgia, where his family was, so it ended up putting me three thousand miles away geographically. But I really wasn't allowed to really call my mom. This was back in the day when you know the, the dial, the rotary dials, or the push buttons, mm-hmm. and you the cheaper race was to call after seven p.m. and so. You know i really was only maybe allowed to call once a week or every other week something you know something to that nature and it really wasn't a quick call um because i did not know how he would react and i went back right after we were married I, I think we might not have been married a month and we had a small earthquake in california shocking but i don't like them even after even being a native californian i will never get used to them and I got scared and cause he had his way at work. And these are the days with no cell phones, no you know, easy way to get a hold of anybody. But I had called my mom to see how, you know, if they felt it, if, you know, just to kind of calm down. And mm-hmm. he happened to come home while I was on the phone and he kind of, you know, murmured like who you on the phone with or, you know, lip synced it basically. And I said, you know, my mom and he motioned for me to get off the phone so i quickly ended the conversation and he blew up at me saying you never reached out to your family i'm the one here i'm the one you know that you need to rely on and it was like i reminded him that he you know was at work i had no way of getting a hold of him and that's when he hit me and i was shocked and not only did he hit me did he put a hole in the wall now a few uh-huh. days a few days later, my sister happened to come over for something, sees the hole in the wall, and she's looking at me, and I just didn't, I did not want to admit that I might have made a mistake. So I I lied, and I said, oh, you know, we were moving something, and it hit the wall, and you know, it's drywall, mm-hmm. so it, it was easy to make a hole in the wall. Uh, you know, so I said I, I I lied to her. I felt bad about doing that, but I just really did not want to make him, uh, you know, admit to making a mistake. I was 19 years old, and being a Catholic, you know, divorce was not in the option. You know, it was just not in the vocabulary, not an option. And thought maybe this was a one off because he immediately apologized. You know, that all the things that you hear. You know the you read mm-hmm. about when right. uh you know the perpetrators they do and so you know i tried to you know, i believe them and you know go you know go on our merry way so um th- you know there's a lot of things that it, you know you're told or you say something and or you do something or you i like i wasn't allowed to wear certain things i wasn't allowed to wear nail polish um Oh, could wear only wear my hair a certain way. Did not want it short. Had you know wanted it long, all of these different things. And so you get to a point after years of it, questioning yourself: Do I say anything? Do I do anything? Um, because you're walking on eggshells. You never know mm-hmm. what's gonna
0: set them off. Set them off. Right. Absolutely.
1: I grew so- up in a family with that. Well. well My mother was lucky enough to get out by the time I was about seven or eight years old. But my father was not only mentally abusive, he was physically abusive. And he threw a knife at her. He had guns. So we were lucky to get out when we did. And ultimately, he abused a woman one too many times and she killed him.
2: Oh, no. You
1: never know. You know, it can come back. I mean, he pushed her too far. Now, my mother was lucky enough to be able to get us out, get them out. My grandparents helped her. So she at least had the wherewithal. And she was young, too. I mean, I think she was 28 years old.
2: Yeah, that's young. Yeah. yeah. It's it's tough. They say, on average, it takes a woman seven times, seven attempts to leave one of these types of relationships before they're successful. Because it, it's really hard. Because they, you know, the... The abuser has a way of saying the right things. You know, oh, I won't do this anymore. I'm so sorry. I need you. I can't live without you. You know, some mm-hmm. of the love bombing techniques that they that they play. And so it makes it harder. Or, or you know, or they threaten like, you'll never see your kids. I will take them mm-hmm. away from you. You know, you'll never make it. In fact, for me, when I left my his parting words to me were, you will never make it and no one will ever love you. Now by that point, that was the wrong thing to say to me because you didn't want anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I it drove me to just like, no, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And and I did. Um, because at that point I was determined because you know, by I had it, you know, attempted suicide and I made the decision when I was in the psych wars, like, okay, this has gotta change. I can't do this, and what am I showing my kids?
1: Right. Right. It shows them it's okay to be spoken to that way did you um have boys or girls or both I,
2: I have two boys and a girl and my daughter is the youngest and she's the only one that has married at this point in time
1: it really so, it can teach yeah. the boys how to treat women and teach the girls what's acceptable because if daddy did it then it must be okay
2: yeah and that's when I realized like no no I can't I don't want that for them I don't want that for them I don't want them to learn the, you know ways of being abused, nor did I want them to learn to victimize others. Right. So I, How I old felt were they like when you left? My oldest one was 14 and okay. And then there was a nine year old and Megan was about six at that time, five or six. Yeah. they. She was young.
0: Yeah. But the boys were just old enough to be able to witness what was going on.
2: My oldest one, especially. And he, it's taken him the longest to kind of heal from that.
1: Did they so, need to go to therapy to help deal with what they observed and how it impacted them?
2: Well, during the divorce, because my oldest one was fourteen, and in the state of Georgia, he could decide which parent to reside with. He chose mm-hmm. his dad. and i mm-hmm. I knew he would um because he was his my you know my ex's favorite child. And so, for a few years, we were, for many years, we were alienated, you know, somewhat alienated. Um, after he turned eighteen and moved away to college, then that's when I moved back to California, where my family support was. And <clears throat> once I got to California, yes, I started finding a therapist, you know, right away. We were all in like family counseling, you know, to to heal.
0: Right. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that um, when you you talk about your oldest son living with it, deciding with his dad, um, when I had custody of my son, but when he was 11, his father said to him, you know, in the state of Ohio, you just have to go in front of the judge and say, I want to live with my dad rather than my mom. And no questions are asked. And. He was visiting his father for the summer. His dad took him to the courthouse, and then I got a phone call saying um, he's going to come home for a week to get his stuff, and then he's coming back. And it was like, well, I don't get this. Yeah. And I remember contacting an attorney and asking. And the attorney said, "It's how the family courts are. They just some states it's eleven, some it's thirteen, and." I will tell you about being alienated for the first two years. I sort of got to see him, but there was always an excuse. And then I went for two years, didn't see him and he didn't call. And then all of a sudden my son said, Hey, I want to see my mom. And all of a sudden things, (coughs) you know, somewhat turned around, but it didn't turn around until he became a young adult. So I, I understand So what made you write the book as a fiction rather than, hey, this is what happened to me? Um,
2: Number one, I didn't think anybody would really be interested in, you know, if it's like it was more like an autobiography or a biography. Um, And it was also a way to distance myself. And as I started writing it and uh, somebody else mentioned something, you know, she goes, you know, this is almost sounds like a younger and older version of you. And I, you know, looked back and I went, yeah, you're right, because the one character was about the age when I was making some of my major decisions about the marriage. And I think for the older character, it would have been somebody I would have liked to have mentored me through it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I guess subconsciously I did that. Um, But it was also another way for me to test myself to see how far I really have come with moving past all, all of that, all of that trauma. I think it was
1: also cathartic, right? It was a way to put it out there and it didn't have to be totally personal, even though now you've come out and you, people will know that that there's a personal piece to it. I think it's easier to tell somebody else's story than our own. Yes. So
2: yes, yes. It's interesting before this, go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I think I had to distance myself, you know, really more like truly it's, you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, did that really happen? And it's like, yeah, I did get through that. And I don't stop and give myself enough credit because I'm just one of, you know, it's like, okay, this is what I got to deal with. Let's figure it out. Just put the plan in place and move forward. I don't really look back in the rear view mirror. I try to (laughs) go forward. So writing forward. the book in a way is cathartic and thought, yeah, it forced myself to look back in the rearview rear mirror and give myself some credit where I'm not really good at doing and say, you you know what, you, you, you're stronger than you ever gave yourself credit for.
1: It's interesting that before we got on for this podcast, you know how things pop up in your social media, mm. um, something popped up about narcissism yes. and how abusers are narcissistic individuals and how when you try to work you you end up there's something in you that allows that person to come in and take hold of your life and the only way to truly make a change is for you to make the change because they're not going to change most likely they won't change we can never say never right (laughs) but most likely and that's very challenging to have to really look inside and look at you and say hey, why do I keep pulling this into my life? Whether it was for your marriage or whether it was another relationship after that, because women do 10 or people, because it can happen to men as well, perpetuate and bring somebody else, maybe a little different, but still some of the same characteristics of abuse. Yes. Interesting to pop up today for this conversation.
2: Yes. And those are some of the things that I've had to learn about myself um you know drawing the boundaries that it's okay to have boundaries. You know, again, my faith taught me, you know, do one to others as you'd have them have them do unto you. Right. Or, you know, love others, you know, like you would love yourself. Well, for some reason the loving myself part got misconstrued or put aside or I never gave my permission or myself permission that it's okay to love myself. It's okay to take care of myself. And I have a, I have a health coach and she recently told me she said, "You know, if you don't put yourself first, especially in your health, you can't take care of others. You have mm-hmm. to take care of yourself first. And it's like, "I okay, I needed that. I needed that." So, you know, working on one, on oneself is an ongoing Process and that's okay. Right. And you, the the key is to be open to it, and you know, make change is hard. Change is really hard. Well, um, and many it of can us, be really good.
0: And thinking about it, when you were growing up, okay, at least when I was growing up, I was always told, you know, how doing something for somebody else is is your job in life. You're a female, and I remember. My grandmother's advice on my wedding day was never go to sleep mad at him. Mm-hmm. And right. I said to her, right. why? And she said, because men have a different reality when it comes to anger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, she scared me. I mean, yeah. my parents were the most loving parents. Yes, they had loud conversations, but then they would hug and kiss and say, and you knew it was better. Yeah, but in my marriage, those voices got loud, and then he would tell me if I didn't listen, uh, he could have me locked up because he's my husband, and I believed it. And even when I shared it with my parents, my parents said, "Oh, he's crazy," but that didn't—I didn't accept that because he's my husband. Yeah, but Karen, even into
1: I think the '60s, early '70s, a lot of women in a lot of states couldn't have a bank account. Well, Unless true. their father signed the bank account or their husband signed the bank account. Right. So there really was a piece of truth to that, that men had the power and they could do as they pleased in exactly. that situation. So right. you can see where she came from for that. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then my divorce happened like in the mid 1990s. And because I didn't work, I had one year of college. Um It's like, well, well, what do I do? How do I get a job? You know, who would hire me? You know, I've got kids. Who's going to hire me? And, you know, I I realized I had more administrative skills than, you know, again, Mm. I didn't give myself enough credit for and started off there and then ended up in the property management field where for the last 20 something years, I've been in the homeowners association industry. So it's been a very good career for me. It's certainly me raise my kids and you know I learned to, to move up and manage different types of communities and earn different certifications and I put myself back through college and, and to earn a degree and you know so things are possible you just got to kind of sometimes buckle down and not tell yourself you can't but you need to tell yourself I can and, and put take piece of paper and a pencil and say, okay, this is what I can do now. This is what I, you know, let's top it off and, you know, make small bowls and take those baby steps.
1: Absolutely. Did you have voices in your head coming from previous family members that said, you know, oh, you shouldn't. T-. So for me, I'll give you an example. I love my grandparents dearly. I don't know what we would have done without them when my mother dad separated mm-hmm. and divorced. However, my grandmother had this little phrase and it was self-praise stinks. She'd go self-praise stinks. So like if I did something in school and I go, look, I got an A or look this look, This was good. She'd go self-praise stinks. I hear that to this day and I am not a spring chicken. <laughs> I still hear that when yeah. I want to say, Hey, I did a good job on that. Right. Or I can do this or I can move forward. And I'm not quite sure where that came from. I mean, you know, she would have been like 114 now or some crazy yeah. number like that, but yeah, do you have those voices that came from maybe a family member that put you into this situation
2: that you know of? Um, no, but I, I know going back, I've always had these perfectionistic tendencies and I always tried to excel, maybe mm-hmm. um, overachieve, you know, kind of being, I probably am my own worst enemy when it came to that. Um, you know, and again, I think it looks, I think it was going back to, you know, wanting the praise and stuff from my mom and dad. And it's not like they didn't mm-hmm. give it to me because they did. But it, for some reason, maybe it wasn't enough or it wasn't what I needed as far as the terms of, you know, praise. And I love the book, The Five Love Languages, because there's so much uh-huh. to that, about how to actually communicate what that person needs but they didn't have that book you know when I was growing right. up so there's um you know we we all do the best that we can in those in those situations you can but only do what you can do what you can do and I think for me my own mindset is is it, my own internal thoughts can be my own worst enemy were so you the constantly- yes are you the old yeah. yes me too yeah yeah. I have a younger sister. She, she's three years younger. So yes, I'm the oldest. So there's, I felt like I was always paving the way. You know? mm-hmm. and I,
1: Well, I was always the responsible one. So when my mother was divorced, she had to get a job, right? She was working. And so my brother, I have a sister, but she's a lot younger. Second marriage uh, for my mom was me. Like I had to watch out for him, even though we were only 22 months apart. You know, I made sure his lunch made it to school. I made sure his gloves weren't left at home. And he knew it. He would tell, don't worry. And he's got it. That was his nickname for me. Uh-huh. So I took on that responsibility. And I still do today, no matter what it is. And in every job I have, you know, yeah. I'm always, somebody's got to do it. So I'll do it. And it's not always to my best interest health wise, even though I know they need the help. It's just, it's not in my best interest all the time, but it's hard. It's hard to say no.
0: Well, you know, luckily we're in a, we're in an era right now where women are sharing and speaking out and learning that, yes, they have a voice. Um, I just went through uh, a session this summer called um, positive intelligence mm. and the six weeks of the course, I've got to be honest. And I've told the, uh, Uh, leader of the course, I did not follow it exactly the way I was supposed to, or the way it was designed. Uh, I picked out pieces that I needed, I could tell I needed to work on. Um, We've been in a six-month group now discussing it, and I admit, too, that sometimes I don't do the pre-work for our discussions, but what it has taught me is what you're talking about, Debbie, that If you take that first step, there's joy about, hey, I can do this. And you may not go outside and tell everybody, hey, I did this. But personally, you have to tap yourself on the shoulder and say, I Mm -hmm. took that step. And if you take two steps back, think about everything that you've learned and keep going. And it's not easy. And Melinda, those voices, they're always going to be there because it's yeah. part of who we are, but we have to start telling those voices. We don't want to listen right. and that's, that's not easy, but it takes time. And at least for me, there are certain voices that I hear. And, uh, especially from my ex and I put it on my husband and it's so sad because we've been together 39 years. Most people would have said, you know, why? But it's deep inside of me.
2: Right. And I think that's some of the side effects of of trauma. And I probably didn't even realize that what I went through was trauma. Nobody really has ever talked about it again until I started writing the book and started doing some research. It was never called gaslighting. You know, back back then it was verbal abuse and they didn't even really liken it to domestic violence. Right. And so we've come a long way with defining things um you know good and bad you know to, to, everything can be taken out of of um perspective but it does exist and you know people are not really sure you know if it's a one-off thing where somebody said might say something and you'll question them it's like oh i was just joking you know if it's a one-off and they sit you know intentionally not repeat that then i would not say you were being gaslighted but if they continue to do it and keep continues like oh it's just a joke i don't mean it that way and they continue to do it despite you saying something then yes you need to take a step back and realize this is what's going on and you know it needs it needs to stop and if you can get the therapy a couple's therapy to to work it out great Um, I'm not still to this day, I'm still a proponent for marriage and not for divorce, but I understand why divorce happens. I mean, heck, they wrote about it in the old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, just, you know, get the help that you need and understand maybe why you are allowing this or why you're staying in this relationship where this is continuing and it's not stopping. And you know, understand your own boundaries, because that was a big thing for me I've, and I'm a people pleaser and and you know there's there's a limit when you continue to please others at some point in time. There's nothing left of you.
0: You got it
1: absolutely. Just nothing you, left. Can you give our listeners a little idea of the types of things gaslighters do? So we, you mentioned about maybe, you know, doing an insult, a joke, and then, ah oh, it's nothing. But what other things can you let them know
2: that maybe that's going to be a piece that's in their life? Well, again, the isolation. And it can be very subtle. Um, but in other words, if you're not really uh, have a lot of friends outside the marriage, um, really not, you know, working, they they tell you things like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't talk to that person. I don't think they, you know, they have our best interest at, at hand. Um, Isolate you from your family. You know, that's that's a key one. Um, Another other things of, like I was just saying, if they can say something and they'll respond, oh, it's a joke, um, or you know, I didn't I didn't say it like that. Um, they can play around with your memories. Like, you know, you. they can tell you something that happened and it's like, no, no, it didn't happen that way at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And probably one of the best examples of gaslighting and love bombing in, in, in action is an old 1944 movie called Gaslight. And it's with Ingrid Bergman and uh, Charles Boyer. And he, you know, initially loves bombs, Ingrid Bergman, into marriage. And and then as soon as they get married, you know, she starts, she starts telling her that she's forgetting something or misplacing things. And then it gets worse to where uh, the movie takes place at the turn of the century when they have the old-fashioned gas lights to light the inside of your homes. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly turning up and down the gas so that the room gets lighter and darker ever so subtly. And so she sees it, she questions it, but the staff and and, and even Boyer himself says, no, no, you're imagining these things. So it it kept escalating to the point where she thinks she's losing her mind. And then we find out, well, there was an ulterior motive for why he was playing why he was mm-hmm. gaslighting her. But it really shows the the love bombing and the gaslighting in action.
1: Is that where the term came from?
2: I actually wonder. started from a a play uh called gaslight and the movie was, was made from the from the play yeah
1: i wondered where the term actually came from
2: Yeah, that seems really, right and we didn't really hear about it for many mm. many years until you know more recently and then in 2022 gaslight or gaslighting became the most researched word in the Merriam-Webster dictionary
1: in 2022
2: 2022, yeah. I
1: wonder if it's because people were stuck home together for two years with COVID before they actually started getting out mm-hmm. in the world.
2: It could think, be. And I know that there was a lot of concern that the, you know, um, incidence of domestic violence would increase with all of the isolation. And, and, it, did. and,
1: and, and it, it did. And it did, yeah. And I think people also need to understand you don't have to be married for this to happen. All you That's have correct. to do is be in a relationship.
2: Primarily concerns... Uh, um, impacts uh intimate partner relationships where a man and woman or you know um man and man women women, are you can see it from a parent to a child and an example of that is disney's movie tangled you can see that in action um i know it the term is used a lot in politics and i don't really want to go there down that road but primarily you see it in intimate partner relationships that's mm-hmm. where it domestic violence occurs.
1: So yeah. beyond your book, how else do you reach out to talk about um, your story and abuse?
2: I am we looking
1: a, to... You have a podcast, right?
2: I've been doing podcasts, yes. Um, I do a lot of stuff on social media. Um, and I've also was at an event uh, about a month ago. It was out in the desert, Coachella Valley. I partner with the the Colts and Cooley Foundation. Mm-hmm, I 50, saw that. 50% of my book, sale Profits, are being donated um, to the foundation. Nicole was brutally murdered at the hands of her boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, through domestic violence. She was hit, murdered with a claw hammer. He hit her 13 times while she was, while she was sleeping. She, was she already crying. had a
1: broken leg, right? Wasn't she?
2: Yes. 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 And uh, you know she was uh, 25 years old. In the prime yeah. of her life. So, yeah.
1: um, there's, a so petition, we, there's a petition. There's a petition to keep her abuser in prison, which I've already signed. By the Thank way, so I encourage everybody to go find that and sign it.
2: Yes, yes, you can actually find it on my website. I have a link to that petition, and my website is www.broken2boldness.com And yes, her story is on there, along with the link to. To that petition. So, yes, they're trying to keep the murderer in jail. He's up for parole again in May 2023.
1: I yes. saw that. Wow. How, how did you come up with the name Broken to Boldness? I love
2: that. You know, when I was working with my publisher to come up with some taglines, I was, you know, doodling all kinds of names, right? And um, it kind of came together. And it, I really loved it. I resonate. It resonates with me because I was broken. You know, mm-hmm. when you're at the point of make, doing a suicide attempt and waking up in a psych ward, you can't get any lower than that. And it's taken me a long time. But now I have a voice, and I'm trying to be bold with it. So,
0: and you are. You're definitely you. using it. So I have a question. So you you attempted suicide. You were still married at the time. Yes. Did he call for medical help? Who called for medical help that got you into the hospital?
2: Interesting story. Um, He worked a lot downstairs in his basement. Um, And I think if I recall the kids that had, you know, they were down or maybe not the oldest one, but they had been, the other ones went to, were in bed. And I swallowed some pills, and which is very unusual for me because I don't like to swallow pills. But anyway, I did. I did not leave a note. And um, apparently, it was several hours later when he realized that there was something wrong. He had come upstairs finally, realized something wrong. He took me to, I think he drove me to the hospital. I don't recall any of that. There was no ambulance call that I can recall. And um, they could not pump my stomach because too much time had elapsed. Mm So in essence, I was alone for several hours before I was even realized what I had done.
0: Interesting. So there was something in him that he knew that he had to get you at least some help so that it maybe wouldn't be pointed towards him.
1: Yes. Well, and also, he didn't call an ambulance. An ambulance right. would have brought attention to the house, to right. everything that was going on. To too. the neighbors.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, to the neighbors, yeah. Yeah. So there was another, you. Know, what do you want to say, icing on the cake, you know, yeah. to mm-hmm. make the decision, you know, that I did. Yeah, they were, at the end of the day, um, you know, that's not love. And that was one of the things that, I think that's what held me back for the words, you know, no one will ever love you. Those have held me back from time to time and when I wrote the book it really hit hard home for me it was like that's not love Mm -hmm. yeah and I don't want any part of that I don't want that
1: so how did you actually leave because I think for anybody in that situation you know all these things happen and you might have had your last straw but you still had to pack some stuff take your children get out the door
2: how yes. did you do that? Um, so my mom and sister, my ex actually called to my surprise, my mom and sister and told them what had happened. They flew out. Uh, they saw me in the hospital and I told them some things because they did not know the whole story. But like they didn't mm-hmm. know the whole story until after I left with the book. And. They, they understood, they said, yes, you need, you know, this isn't right. You We know there's something that's been wrong for a while. We just couldn't put our fingers on it. We thought it was just way too controlling. And so um, we had a discussion. I had that discussion with my ex and he, he actually was, he wanted to try couples counseling we did for a little bit, and I, I by that time I knew I just I knew it wasn't going to work, because he went from one end of the spe- specular to to the other. You know, right. now all of a sudden he was just like a love bomb. He's like way too much. Like, well, look at all I'm doing for you. It's like, but it's too much. You're in my face, way too much. I need I need I need Space. to find the right. I'm still trying to heal from the depression. I was extremely depressed, I'm trying to heal that and trying to see if I can you know salvage a marriage and at the same time and and but it, but it couldn't and it, as far as that goes I mean I was able to find a place um I packed up you know some things but he ended up changing the locks during one of the mm-hmm. um one of the trips out of there you know he pretended to be nice and he was nice for to a point and then whatever had enough changed the locks I remember calling the the sheriff and they came and they said there's nothing we can do. So I said, but I have a decree, divorce decree. All right, there's nothing we can do. Wow. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take what I have and
0: make the you best better. of it. Absolutely. Well, there are a lot of people out there who need to hear the story, ne- need to hear your words because um, they're dealing with it right now and they think that they can't get out um as we all know that everybody's situation is different it may be more difficult than others um but you've got to let somebody know and you got to get as far away as possible
2: absolutely and anybody that thinks they might be in a situation like this or might know someone who's in a situation like this the best resource is the national domestic violence awareness hotline and that number is 1-800 Seven nine nine safe s a f e. So if you ha- you know go someplace you know where it's quiet where you can reach out to them. I think they're there twenty four seven. So there's hope. There's help, well, and there's hope.
0: We'll put that all in the show notes. We'll put Absolutely. your information in the show notes as usual. Um, I suggest everybody go out and buy the book. It's it's a, it's fiction, but it's real. Um, and as I told Debbie, when I first started reading it, um, I've had to put it down numerous times because, uh, just too much of a reflection and I don't want to get caught up in the past. I want to stay in the present. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: yeah. And it could be triggers for somebody reading it if they've gone through something like that. Um, and, and and I get it. I totally get it.
1: Well, we really appreciate you being on. I know it's a big challenge for a lot of women in particular, but men as well who are in that situation, yes. and maybe even children who are in a situation and need help to get out. So your words are very inspiring, and you know it's an important topic, and you let them know there's hope. You can get through that challenge. There's always hope.
2: There's always hope, and that's my model. There's always hope. So. Um, but thank well, you so much for the afternoon, or for the t- for the chat today. I really appreciate your time this afternoon, and and great meeting you, Melinda.
1: You as well. Maybe we'll meet again. You never know.
2: Absolutely. Right part okay. B. Okay. T-
0: take care, everybody. Thanks.
2: Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.